1975 is basically known for one thing in our culture. Umberto's birth. <laughs> yeah. And Jaws was released in theaters across the nation. It broke many records. It jump-started the career of Steven Spielberg. It was his first big hit. He was 27 years old when he directed this movie, by the way, which is oh. absolutely incredible. That is crazy. He would go on to be quite possibly the most accomplished movie director of all time. I was four years old and I desperately wanted to see this movie, but I wasn't allowed. I think I saw the poster and thought it was a porno because the poster was sort of porny. <laughs> How would you know what a porno was? <laughs> <laughs> I, d I don't know when I eventually saw it. It might have been when it was aired on TV in 1979, which kind of makes sense. And I remember it being kind of interesting, but I don't remember being affected by it very much. Maybe it was because we had a tiny 12-inch TV or something. And re-watching it recently, I realized there's a lot of talking. There's just a lot of hanging out. There's not a lot of action, action. <laughs> and also, I grew up as a, as a kid who loved playing in the water, loved going to the ocean, loved going to the lakes. And so I don't, it just didn't resonate with me. And I didn't really appreciate it until about 10 years ago. I heard lots of talk about its significance. People I respect saying it was their favorite movie of all time. And I remember thinking, well, geez, that's kind of weird. I mean, Jaws? So let me ask you, Berto, how did you discover this movie? I didn't grow up by the ocean. I grew, grew up in a big ass city, Bogota, full of buildings and like, that's it. You know, it's this flat mesa full of concrete. So I didn't really like know. I have no like sense of like the the beach and you know I'd been to a beach and stuff, but it wasn't like I lived nearby. Uh, and so it all felt like this foreign thing, like almost like watching a King Kong movie. Like <gasps> they go into the jungles of Africa and they bring out this giant. Like that's how it felt to me, and it felt awesome and intimidating. And of course, it was on TV, so they edited it out a lot. I'm sure. So I didn't. I'm sure I missed like quite a few scenes of the movie, but the overall experience as a kid, I was like, Oh, that's a crazy, awesome movie. Cause the tight, the shark is killing everyone. And in my mind, it was like nonstop shark attacks. Whereas in reality, as you say, there's a lot of talking. There's not as much action as one might think, but yeah, that was, and then I watched Jaws 2 and Jaws 3d, not in 3d, just again on TV. And uh, I was big into the whole uh, Jaws thing and shark thing when I was a kid. Oh, really? What about you, Colin? Well, Jaws has been a really important film for my family because there's a famous story of my youngest aunt not being able to go to the bathroom for a day because the oldest sister took her to see Jaws when she was very young and she was so deathly afraid of water that she couldn't take a comfortable shit and that <laughs> movie when i was in elementary school or um, that story rather just always cracked me the fuck up and i i just asked over and over my aunt kathy the oldest one to repeat that story so it sort of built up in iconography before i even saw the movie and mind you before i did actually see it i had already fallen in love with the ocean my as you can see, well, I guess people listening to this can't see, but I'm wearing my octopus shirt. I've got mm. tentacles all over my chest and torso. And they were, you know, my obsession, my pediatrician. 
she also had a side job as a marine biologist. So I would ask her questions about, oh my God, where did you go to explore? Oh my, this, that, or the other. And then I would be, then subsequently I became a hoarder of ocean books. I got the huge, huge books from Barnes and Nobles that I couldn't even read, but yet I would just sit through the pages and imagine that I was Jacques Cousteau, you know, imagine that I was, you know, scuba diving underwater and seeing all these amazing things. Absolutely no fear, only excitement. So my dad decided as dads do that it was time to show me Jaws one sunny morning. And I do not know how old I was, but I old enough son, you're three now. Yeah, I was definitely not in middle school because I remember seeing deep blue sea in middle school and that was a whole other animal entirely. (laughs) But so I was, I was a few years before that, probably fourth to third grade. Anyway, so I got so into the movie. I was so invested in what was happening that I ended up making my own boat out of the pillows and cushions on the couch and watching it from like my own boat. And by the end of the movie, I was pretending I I like rewound it several times and I pretended that the shark was coming to get me. And the rest, as they say, is history. Every time I would go to the pool, I would want to either play as the shark or play as Brody. And whoever I was with was like, are you kidding me? You want, you want to do this? Are you serious? You nerd. And yeah, so as, as the years have gone by, I've grown to appreciate the specificity of the dialogue and how real the situation feels you know, everything is so tangible. And as I've gotten more mature, the characters and their, their plights have meant more to me. So when Brody is feeling like he's just over everything at the dinner table and he has his hands in his face and then his little boy comes up to him and kind of changes everything by just doing something silly and sweet. You know, as a kid, I didn't care. But that brought me to tears when I rewatched it a, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, it has, it's a very touching scene actually. And me too. When I was a kid, I was just like, Oh, you know, it's just a kid. But the watching it as an adult, is definitely a lot more touching. And I watching it more recently really feel the, the reason why I think this appeal to adults is because it, it's not just a monster movie or a scary horror movie or something, but it, it has a humanity to it, but in Brody and in Richard Dreyfuss's character that it just feels so real. And it makes me wonder about movies made today, like a movie like this, like Jurassic, the most recent Jurassic Park movies. They're essentially in the same category of these giant, you know, animals that are going to kill people. And it's supposed to create that kind of tension. And in those movies, I, I have no care or knowledge mm-hmm. of who those characters are. They're just like, uh, sure. they could be played by anyone. The lines could be anything. And, and it, it just shows you how you can make a movie that is a popcorn movie and actually at least try to make the characters relatable, you know? Yeah, some of the best movies in general that are, that are uh, what I would call uh, where normally they could be interchangeable, the thing that makes them great is because they're not actually about what the surface topic is. Like in the case of Jaws, it's not really, I mean, it's... It, if it were just about a shark attacking people, that would be the interchangeable movie that you could cast anyone with. That's Jaws 2, that's Jaws 3D, that's Jaws 4, now it's personal. That's that BS. But the first one actually could have been the topic, the surface topic could have been anything. They could have been going out in the woods to investigate a troll. They could have been trying to avert global warming. They could have, it could have been anything. 
it's just that it's about like these two personalities that are different coming together to try to overcome something that is way beyond them and their interactions and, 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 and personalities and the dialogue and their own like families and superset of people that around them that makes the movie. Oh, and it happens. There happens to be a shark. And I yeah. think that's great. Yeah. I want to talk about the psychology that I thought of up front here, and then we'll get into more details about the movie. So as you were referring to your aunt who couldn't sit on a toilet anymore, there were a lot of people who had <laughs> phobias as a result of this movie. Obviously, phobias for sharks, for swimming, for just water in general. And there were reports of some people were afraid of their own bathtubs. And apparently, in the Colin household, uh, afraid, of, afraid of a toilet. That's crazy. <laughs> um, and it, you think about that, you're just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Well, phobias don't make any sense. And that, to watch a movie like this, particularly if you're young, it, you could be traumatized by it. Apparently, Colin has a heart of stone, and when he watched it, he just said, I just want to blow stuff up, you know, or <laughs> I, I want to I be the shark, blow me up, you know. So that makes sense. He does have a heart of stone. But then there were cases like mine where I was so far removed from where this was supposed to be taking place that it was like, like if I watched, again, if I watched King Kong or Godzilla or something, I wouldn't be like, oh, I can't go outside because... Godzilla might crush me. You know, this wasn't anywhere near me. So I'm like, yeah, sharks are awesome. <laughs> but the toilet was near you and the bathtub was near you. Yeah, I guess so. But there's no toilet scene. <laughs> so, so Colin, why did you not get afraid of things? Why did you take it the other direction? Because I've always felt like I was a, a creature from the sea displaced on land. You know, I was always a swimmer. I've always enjoyed being really far underwater like when we would go to the the pool i i found solace in the deepest section and it it just creates a sense of inner serenity for me and when i got certified to scuba dive i felt the same way i wanted to be away from everything for a little while and it's the only time you know when i'm really underwater it's the only time that i feel truly um unapproachable. And, and that's not that I don't love human contact or that I don't want to talk to people or, or connect. Absolutely, I do. But it's really a disconnect. And for me, all the animals of the sea are a part of that. And the sharks are a huge part of it. As, as I was watching Shark Week just a few weeks ago, I was, I was wishing that I was there in the water with yeah. the great white sharks. I want to see them. I want to be close to their mass. The last time I had an experience like that was Mind you, manatees and sharks, there's a vast difference between the two <laughs> creatures. But I got to float peacefully with these manatees in Florida, you know, being unobtrusive, not touching them, nothing, just relaxing alongside them. And I felt rejuvenated. It was like going to a spa, being with my sea creature brethren. Well, I imagine manatees can be quite dangerous if you're not careful. <laughs> no, I'm serious. They, like, I mean, they're, they're massive, right? They're... they're they're uh, benign blobs floating, um, but they they could be scary. I mean, I mean, like hippos are benign blobs that can kill you really easily. No, no, hippos can kill you, but but uh, manatees, uh, I don't think there's much of a threat. But you're remind you're you're reminding me, Colin, and I thank you for that. Of 
I, I felt the same way when I was a kid. I kind of, for it's been so long that I think I forgot that about myself as well. When I was, like I said, this movie didn't scare me. And I was thinking, well, maybe it's because I was in the water all the time. And I was, and I, I was that kid as well, that I went the deepest in the deep end. I went, I went the furthest out in the lake. I would go underneath docks and other kinds of, you know, surfaces that people were like, oh, there's muskrats down there. And, and I was always like, come on, you know, relax. Or if there is a muskrat, I guess that, that that's just what's going to happen. So getting back to psychology here, uh, or another side of psychology, is the phobias. And the fact is, as I'm sure Colin can attest to, since he's been close to them, sharks almost never attack humans. Uh, everyone who hangs out in the ocean can attest to that, either you know, being, um, you know, recreation or, or surfing or scuba. And Jaws really introduced this notion that all sharks want to do is eat humans. (laughs) You know, if they, if they, you ask the average person, particularly after this movie, okay, you're in the ocean, you see a shark, what happens? Well, shark obviously eats me. I mean, that's, that's just what's going to happen. But the fact is, the sharks don't, consider humans to be food you know they, they have certain food that they eat and the other thing like is the mayor of a certain amity <laughs> the other thing is is that well in some ways actually he was right but obviously under the evidence that was happening there was a aberrant shark of some kind uh and anyway so birdo and colin likelihood of dying from a shark uh, you know one out of one right. in blah 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 birdo what do you think uh, for the average person, uh, one in 1,000. Okay, Colin. I'm going to go with one in like 50,000. One in four million. Oh, it's a little less likely than, than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> Likelihood of dying in a car accident, Berto. Uh One in 2,000. Yeah, I, I don't know where my math was on that first one. I think I got mentally confused. Um, I'm going to do one in 1,000. One in a hundred. Okay. One in a hundred. A lot of people die in car accidents. Very. Yeah. Uh, Top three countries with the highest number of shark attacks, not necessarily deaths, since they started keeping track in 1965. Brito. Australia. And, okay. What are the other two? What what are the other two? Okay. All right. Colin, what do you think? I'm going to go with Australia, Africa, and Asia. Number one, you can't go Africa. You can't go Africa. That's not a country. Yeah. You got to be more specific. Okay. Specific Um, country. I I guess. Oh, you were going to say Brazil. (laughs) I'll go South Africa. South Africa. Like, yeah. South Africa. Africa. But y'all missed the most. The top is United States. Number one. Really? Oh, number two is Australia. Well, one, the United States has a lot of people. So Australia, not so many people. Yeah. Um, and then South Africa. So you got United States, Australia, South huh. Africa. That is most, shocking, though. The most fatalities are in Australia. Oh, okay. Uh, top three states in the United States, Berto. Okay, Florida, California, and oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. Uh, Oregon. <laughs> Colin. I'm going to go with Florida as well, California, and... And New York. You're doing awesome. Florida, California. That is right. The third one is 
a little obvious because you're not you're thinking mainland United States. Oh, of course, Hawaii. Yeah, but yeah, Fl- Florida, California. Dum, 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 uh, also, dum. I know that Brazil is in South America. I just wanted everybody to know that. I, okay, <laughs> what did you say that? <laughs> I didn't me- think that Brazil is in Africa. I just want oh. people to know. Like okay. I was thinking, uh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even catch that. I thought <laughs> like Brazil I was my, Africa. I switched my thinking, yeah. but it sounded like I was an idiot. Okay. Right. And I, I cringed on camera and then I thought, should I point it out or should I just let it go? And I decided to let it go. <laughs> um, I didn't even catch that. <laughs> okay. In, in the United States, how many fatalities <laughs> since 1965? 500 casualties. No. Okay, and Colin? I'm going to go with a rough hundred. A million. 48. 48. Okay, yeah. 48? That's close to 500. About once a year. Yeah, I mean, it's not that bad. It's an order of magnitude. A a little less than one shark death per year. But, you know, it's something. But, But, Kirk, what would it have been had Jaws not been released? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, like was, well, hard you, to know. Probably 48 of those or 47 of them happened between the years of 65 and 75. And then everyone's like, oh, staying out of the water now. So, yeah, the, the thing to remember for people with phobias watching this sort of thing is to look at the evidence. If you get in a car and you drive somewhere or you, as a passenger, allow yourself to be driven somewhere – you are much, much more likely to exponentially more likely to die in that situation than you are swimming in the ocean from a shark. Now, there's other dangers of swimming in the ocean, obviously, but, but shark attack is, is definitely not one of them. And for people who actually scuba around with sharks, I mean, one of the things that really drove it home for me as a kid was going to the Seattle Aquarium. I know, Colin, you, you've been there before, I believe. And in the big tank that you can walk up to the giant, you know, you've seen those in the movies where you walk up to a giant uh, glass and you're just in a, in a huge aquarium. There are what we call dogfish, which are kind of smallish sharks, but they, you know, they're shark sharks. They're, they're sharky sharks. And there's all these other fish in there and the sharks are just kind of milling around. And if you didn't know this was a predator, you'd just think it was just another, just another fish. Am I right about that, Colin? I mean, you've have you swam next to sharks? I haven't done anything that is like a shark expedition where the the actual you know diving trip or snorkel trip is for viewing sharks. But I've worked with them a lot at various camps. Let me explain. Uh, so I know that Sea World is bad. I know it's bad. But growing up, the happiest place in the world to me was Sea World. As a nerd. I love the ocean. Growing up in San Antonio, that's where I went. That's where I was every weekend if I could. I had the pass. I did all the summer camps. I would go behind the scenes. And I spent a lot of time um, swimming with them there because they have things in the back where you can um, you can wade with them, you can pet them, nice. you can feed them. And they're, they were very sweet. You know, honestly, the, the, my experience with sharks is that they're very passive animals. And if you treat them like you, you know, like you treat a cat, you're going to be fine. Like, are you going to go and grab a cat's tail and yank it? Well, if the cat strikes you, then you deserve it. And if you do that to a shark, then you deserve it as well. But I do think that you are correct. Most often it's a case of mistaken identity and a shark attack is what I would say a series of crazy factors one after the other. That's what, that's what thing we've continued to find. It's like you were in this place 
the water was this dense, you know, the visibility was this, the, you know, the shark was in this mode at this migratory time, this prey item was in the area, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's just crazy circumstances really have to be in place, but I don't think people think about it. I think people just, whenever they're not sure what's under the water, they think shark. And right. well, so, so hold on, because like for me, I, I mean, I understand that. And obviously I was kidding about one in a thousand. And <laughs> I'm aware that, you know, these are very rare, but at the same time, I'm not surprised. Like, it's not like I'd be shocked if someone says, do you know that Joey was like running around with lions and one of them attacked him and he, he died. Be like, well, that's sad, but what the fuck was Joey doing with the lions? Like, it's kind of like, you know, the people that, that get a chimpanzee and then one day the chimpanzee kills them. It's like, well, these are animals. They're not like domesticated dogs through thousands and thousands of years, you know? Yeah. Anyways, I'm, so I'm not shocked that a shark every now and then would be like, well, that looks like a seal. I'm going to eat it. Right. And the analogy that I just thought of, and I, I think it's apt, is in the same way that if you go into the ocean, there's a really small uh, chance that a shark is going to attack you. If you go into on a hike in the Seattle area, there's a really small chance that a bear or a cougar is going to attack you and try to eat you. But people don't not go hiking, you know, people go hiking with knowing that, yeah, there's a small chance that a cougar or a bear is going to eat me, but it's so small. I mean, why right. worry? I, I'm much more likely to die in a car crash on the way to the hike than I am in the woods. But I think there's something perhaps innate in us or uh, available to us as an anxiety about going underwater. I think that there's something kind of primal about going on underwater, particularly for people as children who, who weren't exposed to that. You know, me and Colin, probably at the age of two, I mean, that was the way it was for me, is from a very early age, I was just left alone <laughs> to play in ways that my parents should not have done looking back. I mean, there were several times when I absolutely should have died and just, and just didn't, you know. And, and so I was extremely used to, to swimming. Um, in the same way that as a kid, age two, three, four years old, I was climbing 50 foot trees by myself, you know, and was not afraid of heights. So I think it's a matter of exposure early. And I think for a lot of people, they aren't, you know, exposed to just water play when they're young and or there's some kind of trauma that happens when they're kids. And so I think that this this movie would definitely play into that, you know? Yeah. The other psychological thing I want to talk about is that it depicts social phenomena, which is kind of interesting or relevant to us today. Like, oh, okay. Expert, what? I mean, if I, do I think I know where you're going with this? I think you do. Okay. So let me explain something. As a kid, I watched that movie and similar movies. In fact, all the other Jaws movies, as well as other disaster movies and stuff. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And one of the things that I enjoyed as a kid was yelling at the television, you know, like, why would you not listen to Johnny Hero? Don't you see? Don't you see what's happening? But now as I grew up and I would rewatch some of these movies, especially the, the, like, the worst ones, but even Jaws, even the original, I, I started developing a different opinion. I, was, I started developing this, this thought of like, well, this is still a fun movie, but come on, like, 
in reality, like people wouldn't be this dumb. Like, you know, if, if all the signs are there, if the experts are telling you, like you would just not go in the water. Like you wouldn't reopen for 4th of July. Like, come on. But you know, it's an enjoyable movie. And then I realized, nope, 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 nope. It was just a documentary. <laughs> yeah. So the other question I have, Colin, you love this sort of thing. You love Shark Week. I'm not a Shark Week aficionado like you, but Shark Week is a thing. Sharknado is a thing. Um, Why do us humans like this sort of thing so much? Sharks, Shark Week, Jaws, Jurassic Park. Ted Bundy. The theme of large animals eating humans. Why do we like that sort of thing, Colin? I think you used this word earlier, you, you, and I don't remember the exact context, but you said primal. And I think that that's why we love these movies, and that's why I think these scripts continue to get purchased by producers and then sold to us, because they know that we will respond to primal things, primal urges like escaping from a hungry mouth, you know that Jaws is the most primal motivation for its characters. Um, primal things like attraction, you know, romantic comedies and so on and so forth. That's what I think that's where our genres are derived is from, from primal things. And there, it varies, I think from script to script. So you've got Jaws in one corner and Sharknado way on the other side. <laughs> I think, in the hands of someone like Steven Spielberg and pretty much every creative person who worked on Jaws, you can tell a story that, like we've just discussed, teaches us about how we should deal with nature. It's a fundamental need, I think, for humans um, and our societies to figure out how to coexist with nature. And that encompasses all of the fear-based things that used to be the reason that we told children fairy tales. Don't go into the woods because a a wolf is going to eat your ass up. You know what I mean? Like grandma's already been eaten and you're in danger next. But on the other side, I think there's a vicarious way of enjoying the punishment, you know, nature punishing humans for being ignorant or having folly or seeing the ways things could go bad and ignore them you know, and ignoring them. So that's where I think movies like Sharknado come in because we're not meant to empathize with those characters. And so when they die one right after the other in goofy ways, you're sort of like, yep, you had it come in, you know? And so, <laughs> I, and I, so it just depends on like the style of the film, but both of them work for, I think, different people. Yeah. Well said. The thing I'll add to this is the trope of the, that I just realized that this movie either invented or participated in is you have the sexualized girl is the first one to go, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's a horror movie trope where yep. this sort of quote-unquote slutty girl takes a guy into the bedroom and then the whatever horror movie version, a sword gets you know thrust through both backs. And, and, they, and here we have <laughs> the exact same thing. We have the promiscuous girl takes off her clothes you know, looks at a guy and correct me if I'm wrong, but she was flirting with a guy that she had never talked to before. Right. I mean, it looked like they didn't even know each other really. They were just getting drunk at a party. Yeah. But, but the way she was looking at him and the way he was like, Oh, she's looking at me. 
I got the impression like they had never yeah. even talked to each right. other. Before. They hadn't because when she's running, she he's like, "What's your name?" She's like, "Chrissy." Yeah, it's so, the first love at first sight, man. Yeah, so he so she goes running off, presumably you know a sexual encounter, rips off her clothes, jumps in the water, and the first one to go. So I, yeah. this is a, a wish that I think a lot of people have, which is one to punish impurity to two punish young people and three to punish women i mean women and and sexual impurity right and if she had been just like violent i think she wouldn't have been eating but eaten by the shark right but we also get the benefit of visually partaking sexually so we get to both witness sex which we want and also witness the punishment of it, which we also want. So we get everything in those kinds of scenes. Because Michael Myers and the shark in Jaws are essentially the same character. You know what I mean? There, yeah. There's not much variance there. They, they have a direction and we don't understand that direction, but people are dying one right after the other. There's not real. I, I, let me rephrase Michael Myers, as he was presented to us in the first one, I know they go into like weird origin stuff and occult and later, but in my opinion, the first one is the only one that matters. And that's what I'm talking about. Well, there was a development in probably, I, I don't know when it started first, but th- there was a twist because for all of like history, all the stories that were of this type where there was a monster in the wilderness, um, eventually men went, men went and fought and hopefully killed the monster. Uh, Jaws is still that, you know, now, mm-hmm. women can be casualties and, and all these things. Um, I suppose sometimes maybe there's a woman in, in the team, but, you know, mostly it's the men. Okay. But Alien. then at some point, well, but that, no, 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 that's what I'm saying. At some point it changed or they tried a variant where they're like, you know what? The woman's the only one who survives and she doesn't go hunting. She's trying to mind her own business. The damage comes, kills everyone else. And she just like barely scrapes by, but she survives. And that was almost like a, a feminist angle to the whole thing, you know, because before it was like scary monster in the wilderness. Yeah. Probably women are going to die. Women, children, you know, a few men, but don't worry. The men's got this. The men's going to go deal with this. And yeah. then horror movies went and like, well, you know, actually maybe Sigourney Weaver lives. <laughs> right. The other, the last psychological angle I want to take with this is death instinct as to why we like this sort of thing. So Freud proposed this idea, uh, death drive and an instinct for destruction, even of the self. And it's basically uh, that Freud had a lot of change in his theory over time. And at first he had the pleasure principle, meaning that we evolved for an instinct for pleasure, not uh, like necessarily explicit pleasure like cocaine. He, he liked his cocaine, but, um, you know, relationship pleasure or comfort pleasure, this kind of thing. You know, it makes yeah. sense. But then he observed World War I in which millions of people just threw themselves at death and killed each other. And then coming back from the war, they had PTSD flashbacks. And so he, he was trying to figure out why would the mind choose to go back to World War I and witness death. Why, why would humans have evolved? Because he was very, you know, he was very interested in human nature. And then he, he observed masochism, people who would sexually, you know, harm themselves or just self-harm, suicide, self-destructive behavior, addiction. 
and repetition compulsion, which I talk a lot about in the podcast, which is repeating bad childhood relationships in the future or in the present. And he observed this and he started feeling like, well, what is going on? Why, why are humans, you know, either choosing or not choosing, you know, but compelled to self-destruct, to expose themselves to difficulty? Why would that be? And so he concluded that we evolved an instinct to both move towards pleasure, but also to destroy the world and ourselves with it. I have to say, I'm not convinced by his theories. I, I consider all these things to be various different defenses of, of the brain and not a drive to self-destruction. But right. it is kind of an interesting idea. I mean, you'll, it, I mean at, least, at the very least, you could say that we have a drive for power and sometimes power leads to destruction. An example you'll see in kids, and I always try to relate it to kids because kids are more spontaneous and you know not tainted by culture is you know, you'll, you'll be playing with a kid and you'll be put, you know, let's say an 18 month old child, you'll be stacking up a bunch of blocks and the 18 month old child, like a cat just wants to knock it over. You know, there's just <laughs> something that you kid or they're, they're eating in their high chair and they just want to throw their plates off of the, off of the high chair and, and hear it crash on the ground. Now to us, we're like, well, that's dirty to the child. Obviously the child doesn't know that. But there's something powerful about that. You know, you give them a drum and they just want to bang on the drum. The fact that you seem to covet this, this round or this square rectangle thing called, called a cell phone, they want that, you know, and they, want, they like power. And so I think it, if anything, uh, not PTSD flashbacks, you know, maybe war, maybe masochism, maybe self-destructive behavior, eating disorders, there's some element of, if I'm powerless, I'll find power in any way I can, even if it's destroying others and myself. Does that make sense? Hmm. Interesting. Deep, dark, and interesting. <laughs> I, I think that that comes across in the progression of death in Jaws as well, because it starts off with, you know, this girl who plunges into the sea, you know, willingly naked, and she's punished. And on some level, it's not really talked about again. Pieces of her body are found later, but we don't, nobody grieves for her. Nobody looks for her. Nobody's really enraged. It's still hush hush. Like she disappeared and that's kind of okay. You know, we can move on. But then there's a child and the child dies. And so I think that it kind of comes into our, um, into our cultural consciousness at that point, because seeing a, a, an adult woman who's sexually active, you know, being punished by like what could be described as a rape, you know, the, the shark is a kind, it's a, he's a kind of rapist murderer, you know, that versus a child, you know, people tend to get way more triggered by, by things that happen to kids in that regard. And then you move even forward. And I know there's the guy that drowns in the boat cause he was too scared. That just serves, I think, to get us closer to the shark when we find the tooth, but then Later, and I don't know if this is my reading of the scene. I don't know if uh, I may be stretching, but we see this guy on a boat in the lagoon and he's kind of like, hey, you guys okay over there to the three little boys? And I don't know if they were meaning to imply this, but I kind of got the sense that he might have been like a predator. You know, he was sort of interested in what these three underage boys were doing. And then the predator punishes him 
And mm. it sort of, then our, our motivation shifts because we realize that the danger is closer to our children than we realize. And that's when Brody's like more assured in forcing them. He literally forces the mayor's hand to sign the, the order to get Quint to kill the shark. So I do think that these, um, that the shark is connected to this, this Freudian notion. Um, and that's why I think people still today are so um, emotional about Jaws. I didn't get that, that illusion with the guy in the boat. Uh, I, I, I mean, the way I read it is more of like, it's a misdirection scene because we think something's going to happen. You know, we're meant to think something's going to happen to the children with, with the shark and that he is pointing at it going like, are you guys okay? Cause audience FYI, they're probably going to get attacked, but then it's a misdirection to like, Oh shit, I got attacked, but it's interesting. It's an interesting. Let's go through some more general things about the movie. Great start to the movie. Just a fantastic start. Great characters. It just keeps moving with, and he uses the camera to, and there's that classic scene where they're on the ferry, right? Where he just uses the camera to tell a story. Um, What did you guys like about the movie? As I said, my, my first exposure to it was pretty, you know, little kid liking an action movie with sharks biting things, you know, like that. But I have certainly developed a, a deep taste for it, <laughs> pun intended, as I grew up. Um, for one thing, so um, a friend of mine, it was a tradition in their family to watch it every 4th of July for, because, you know, 4th of July is prominently featured. Um, so there were a few years where like, I watched it like once a year <laughs> and um, I, for example, I didn't have to, you know, Kirk sent the email, Hey, we should watch this again for this thing. I didn't have to, cause I had recently watched it like just like last month, basically. Um, and I get, I, I really get a lot of enjoyment out of it because uh, number one, it is totally scary. Like in the, you know, in the good way, not the cheesy horror movie way, but in like the, you get the tension, you get the stress, even though you've seen it, you know what's happening, you know, but it's still stressful. Those scene in the beach when, when uh, Brody realizes, oh God, and then they zoom in on his face. Oh, it's stressful. Um, I think that the, the, the funniness, the humor of their interaction of the dialogue between him and, and um, Hooper is, there's just brilliant. And then you get the, the crabby old crusty sea expert. And uh, that's just super enjoyable. Uh, it's got a great finale too. Like it's a bit, it's a big climax. So it, it's got a little bit of payoff for sure. Not a lot of payoff. So for all those reasons, I just, I think it's a very rewatchable movie for me. Yeah. Colin. I think that when it comes to both large scale blockbuster films and also very small character dramas, something that I, that is an, a, an overlapping thing that I enjoy is a story that tells the the truth of control that a character or a society has. And oftentimes they have less control than they think. So in the character study, this is usually like an unraveling story, like blue Jasmine, somebody who thinks they have it all together. And then slowly they, they just scene upon scene upon scene is just a reinforcement of no, you don't No, you don't No, you don't. And this, you know, movie jaws, it's, it's a reinforcement that the, the, the mayor doesn't know what the hell he's doing and is unprepared. And to some degree, Brody is unprepared 
to some degree, Hooper is unprepared to some degree. Yeah, they're all unprepared. Even Quint, the, the hero of, you know, fish slayers everywhere. He doesn't know what to do and and it just continues that compiles for the entire movie until at the boat hooper tried what he thought you know and there's that quick that quick shot where um you know uh brody comes over to hooper and says have you ever seen and then he just cuts him off you know says no in that classic spielberg way of having people talk over each other so even the expert has no idea what the hell the shark is about quint the master fisherman he tried everything. He put everything on the hook. Put another barrel on him. We're going to bring him in and drown him. Bring him to the shore and drown him. You know, he does all this, sh- this shit. None of it works. I love that until you finally, you're underwater with Hooper and you see the shark approach the cage and you know that he's, he's gone for. In an earlier draft, he was gone for. And they, yeah. they saved him because of a, like, they got a really great shot of a, a real shark on top of a cage. And then he swam away. But because um, he wasn't in the cage when they got that shot. But you uh. just you get the sense of like, oh, we're never going to be in control, are we? Like we can prepare, but we're going to have to take what nature throws at us, whether that's a giant shark or a tsunami or damn coronavirus. And all we can do is like we have to be Brody and like accept yeah. that we're we're the person that doesn't have a master of a mastery of the sea, but we still have to cl- climb the last bit of boat that is left take up our shotgun and shoot for success and sometimes especially in a spielberg movie you might you might make it out okay so i love that i love that sense of um of the story that it tells about humanity and um our ignorance and just all of the visuals um they bring me like i I feel like this movie sometimes um is like a drink of wine for me i'm like look at that beach Mm. (laughs) <laughs> look at that beach. That is a nice beach. Look at that. Look at all these people having a good time on this shore. Yeah, maybe some of them are going to bite the dust, but I'm really enjoying this. And so anything with a beach setting, like, you know, is just going to bring me all of the feels. So, yeah, aesthetically, well, it hits a 10 for me. <laughs> oh, a 10? Well, the, the, 10 Collins at a, at a 10? Yeah, 10 for me. All right. There's another angle, actually. You just uh, saying the beach thing. Did you actually read the book? The the no, book? I haven't okay. read the book. So I read that book in high school. I read the beast, and, but not that. Um. Oh, okay. I read that book in high school and loved it. It was gritty. There was like sexual stuff in it that was a little like whoa, and um, and it it was such a good description of the action and everything. Loved it. And one of the things is that the beginning part of the book. He spends quite a bit of time describing the beach and the beachgoers. And it was sort of a, a little window into a foreign world for me because it's talking about this New England kind of people that frequent this beach and old, you know, kids from old money. And, you know, like it, it was a little bit definitely talked about how white they were and stuff like this. Um, and as I was reading that, I remember thinking it, it was like a, to me, it was like describing again, like some foreign land, something mythical, because I didn't, I, I spent two years in New York as a little kid, but not like in, you know, in Queens, you know? So I did, I didn't really have this exposure, this sense of what is, what is that community? Like, what are these people like? Yeah. And the book did a really good job of describing that. Interesting. So how many Birdos out of 10, Birdo? <laughs> for the movie overall? Yeah. Oh, it's a nine for me. Oh, 
Yeah. I think I'd give it a seven or an eight. Uh, <laughs> other, other trivia, Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss apparently hated each other throughout filming this movie. And it sort of- Oh, sh- I didn't know that. I did. <laughs> um, the line, you're going to need a bigger boat was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider. Robert <laughs> Shaw- Robert Shaw was literally drunk throughout filming this movie and yep. was sometimes unavailable to shoot. Uh, Spielberg <laughs> pranked George Lucas and got Lucas's head stuck in the shark's mouth when he was backstage. <laughs> Steven Spielberg wanted Charlton Heston to play Brody, but decided against it because Heston usually prevailed in movies. So the audience wouldn't worry enough about him. Mm. Uh, the movie was supposed to be released the year before at Christmas, but because filming ran over schedule, it release was pushed back to summer of the following year, which was supposed to be a dead zone for crappy movies. And the success of this movie started the whole summer blockbuster phenomenon. Man, I can't picture Heston as the lead because well, whenever it, they do this, like, like uh, what was this? Magnum PI was supposed to no, be I could, Indiana I could Jones. But I could have seen that. But it's hard to feel, you know. No, what I mean? of course, and I certainly wouldn't have preferred it. What I'm saying though is that Heston is too much on the spectrum, closer to the Quint side of things, you know. So like, yeah. you don't need two alphas. Because Brody's in an everyman. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I I decided to make a list of copycat movies of this movie. Obviously, The Meg, and then The Shallows with Blake Lively. Well, there's a lot of shitty, shitty shark movies. Like, there's there's like a bad shark movie every couple of years, like Spring Break Shark Attack, or you know, the Asylum will release like a Sharktopus versus Crocosaurus, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> they have shit more like it. Um, they've they've got um, they've done some semi blockbustery ones, like I think it's called Shark Night, where a bunch of you know, it's basically Halloween ripoff, but in a on a beach, they're like all these young people who are hot get attacked by shark. That's wow. it. Period. Well, it's like, they, there's like an insane person. The killer like uses sharks to kill people. Oh. Like Mike Myers would use a knife 47 meters down, which was pretty recent. And then they, there were these girls, Mandy Moore included gets, they get trapped in a cage that rockets to the seabed and they can't get up. And there's great white sharks that stalk them. Interesting. So yeah. let us let us conclude with rating every single Steven Spielberg movie in order. So uh, I'm going to rattle my list off, and then y'all, you know, uh, reciprocate. So I have four different categories. I have some of the best movies of all time. Then my second category is other master directors wish their best movie was one of these movies. That's his second tier. And then the third tier is absolutely entertaining movies. And then the fourth tier is not great. So my number, my number, my top tier are, these are some of the best movies of all time made by one directed, you know, one director. Raiders of the Lost Ark is my favorite Spielberg movie. Saving Private Ryan, a close second. Schindler's List, a close third. I'm actually rewatching that today. E.T., I mean, I don't know if I'd rewatch E.T. today, but as a kid, when I was 11, I was Elliot. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Close Encounters of the Third Kind. That movie pops into my head all the time. And he wrote that movie as well. And Duel. I remember watching Duel when I was a kid and thinking it was brilliant. And then Jaws. So these are some of the American movie classics. You could say, you know, these are the best movies that American film has created and it just happens to be directed by one dude. 
Right. These, this next tier are other master directors wish their best movie was one of these movies. Color Purple, Jurassic Park, Minority Report, Munich, and Lincoln. All yeah. these are, are just masterpieces, and they don't, in my mind, rise to the level of Saving Private Ryan, Raiders, <laughs> Schindler's List, E.T., Close Encounters. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. Like the color purple Jurassic Park are yeah. just amazing movies, but not as amazing as Raiders. Anyway, We'll see my, about that, but yes. My next, tier, my next tier is absolutely entertaining, meaning I probably gave it like a 7 or 8 out of 10. Bridge of Spies, Empire of the Sun, Amistad, Always, The BFG, Ready Player One, The Goonies, Catch Me If You Can, Poltergeist. He was writer-producer, not director on that. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, War of the Worlds. People hate on that movie. I find it to be delightful. War Horse, The Terminal, and AI. People don't like AI very much, but I remember thinking it was uh, interesting. Not amazing, but but interesting. Not good. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I know some people, I'm Berto might disagree with this. That movie rewatching Temple of Doom is, uh, it's just not great. No, no, I, I will agree. I wouldn't go so low, but I will certainly agree that it's a pale comparison. Like yeah. Indiana Jones one and three are amazing movies. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Lost World, Jurassic Park, not good. Uh, 1941, not good. The Post, I hated the post. I thought it would. I mean, is I that El Postino or is that the no. postman? No, or is that the, neither? That's neither. It's the post <laughs> with. Uh, it's about the um, the cons- the. Um, it came out three years ago. It was nominated. It's about the Washington Post, I believe. Anyway, um, and then Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is by far the by far. What the is worst. that? Yeah. I think we saw the theater <laughs> together. No, yeah. I think we saw in the theater together, Berto. I think and, we I think we sadly did. Yeah. I mean, that one scene where they're <laughs> no. with the 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 Too bugs soon. and then the other scene when they're they're between the oh, it's just so bad. About the in the jungle, sw- we're swinging through the vines. Oh my god. Yeah. So bad. <laughs> yeah, and and so that's by far. Like the post yeah. is not that bad and and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom, not that. But in fact, I'm going to do a fifth tier, and I'm going to go uh, one of the crappiest movies of all time. <laughs> okay, but you are touching on something because the post is way more boring than Crystal Skull. Sorry. Wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm not even in it. Okay. I'm well, glad, I'll wait. I'll just wait. Colin, I'm glad, Colin, that you can agree that that's a terrible movie because it got kind of good reviews. And I, I'm just like, what? It's cheesy. It's boring. I mean, it's an interesting story, but it's just a terrible script. But I also think that Spielberg made some mistakes directing that movie as well. I agree. I agree. Like there's this one scene where they pan outside and they, they show a bunch of uh, protesters because it's during Vietnam. And it just looks like, you know, that commercial that uh, what the Jenner daughter. Was oh, yeah, in? yeah, yeah. I know it, exactly it, what you mean. It, it, it was worse than that. It's cheesier yeah. than that. And Steven Spielberg, you know, he, he grew up during that time. He, he should know what a protest looked like in the early 70s anyway. So those, well, those he are- throws protests incorrectly into films. I mean, because like in Crystal, sometimes, because in Crystal <laughs> Skull, they wouldn't, they wouldn't really be protesting the red, like were people protesting on college campuses, the Red Scare? Like I know the Red Scare was a thing, but that just felt a little bit like out of time. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. 
but uh, I, for, I forget that whole movie, honestly. Okay, Colin, give us your ranking of all of Spiel, Spielberg's movies. Oh my God, you're gonna, y'all are gonna hate me, but no. whatever. You already think I'm tasteless. It's okay. <laughs> so number one, would you like me to go from the top to bottom or what? Yeah, top to bottom. Okay, my number one is Jurassic Park. Okay, Respect I like it. I mean, I don't like that it's your number one, but you'll (laughs) see that I like that you put it high up. Okay. Number two, Jaws. Okay. Nice. Number three, Raiders, of course. Has to be top three. Number four, Minority Report. Oh. I really enjoyed that movie. Number, Yeah. Yeah, number five, The Last Crusade. And I will say, depending on the day, I might even like it sometimes. A little more than Raiders. Like wait, certain wait, wait. things I enjoy. But wait, what, are you say, what are you saying about Last Crusade? I'm saying that like Last Crusade is almost as good to me as Raiders. But then you look at it again, and you're like, absolutely not. Like Raiders is just totally. Did you write that Last Crusade? Yeah. Did he not? Am I incorrect? I, I think, think you're did. incorrect. Oh, oh well, I, I had it on my list. Let me look. Oh, no. Well, I hope I'm sorry. I hope it. Oh, no, I no, it is. It yeah, is. He, direct, he directed it. Okay, I, I'm sorry. I take it back. So I just need to adjust my list. <laughs> so yeah, so, Last Crusade. Love it. Oh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so I, I can respect that as well. I mean, Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, their, their relationship in that movie is just so precious and funny and touching and interesting. And like Sean Connery yeah. never played a character like that. And I feel like he should have played characters like that all the time. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. And I think that there's, there are a lot more complex characters in general, you know, even though like Raiders, all the characters are perfect, but they're like perfect in their simplicity. Like that movie is like a, a beautiful adventure, you know, that, that just will never be topped. But Last Crusade goes into a few more interesting things. Like the, the love interest, for example, in Raiders, Marion, she's spunky. She's, she's got a past. She's, she's very enjoyable because that actress, Karen um, Allen, really portrayed the you know the scenes well and she had a lot of chemistry i get that but in this third one like there's a lot more levels to the allison duty character you know she's you know i think it's a masterwork of cinema that they made a nazi sympathizer a little bit sympathetic like how do you do that but they did it and then the villains are a little more three-dimensional as well as opposed to like these they're only evil Nazis that they were in Raiders. Like there's, there's shades of gray to some things, you know, cause Donovan wants like eternal life. And what does that mean to him? And he's really just like this, you know, this guy who's going to do whatever it takes to, to get to this goal, this ideology that he believes anyway. So that's I think my- you're perilously close to pissing me off though, because Raiders introduced the subtlety with Belloc. So come oh, on. Oh, I do love Belloc. I do love Belloc. I do. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I would never, never tarnish that. That actor is great. Who I first I saw know. as Ivan Ooze in the first Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie. <laughs> anyway, oh, moving wow. on. <laughs> so next, number six is Schindler's List. Number nice. seven, I mean, Empire not nice, of... but, you know, good. Okay. Number seven, Empire of the Sun. Number eight, Close Encounters. Number nine, Duel, which was a recent watch for me. So but thus I far, loved it. Thus far, a, a lot of these rankings are, you know, pretty close to, to my rankings, by the way. Except for The Last Crusade, but uh, all the other ones, those are all, those are all top tier, you know. Well, it's yeah. about to get, it's about to get weird. Okay. So, well, not with this one, because this, this film is just perfect. Uh, the Color Purple. Yeah. Then yeah. number 11, Lincoln. 
Now into the weird section where I think my list is going to confuse. So my number 12 is the lost world. Oh, what? I know everyone hates this movie. No, 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 no. Actually, in your defense, what I hate almost more than anything is the lost world book. Oh, don't I feel like Spielberg did the best he could. Basically the studio was like, look, first of all, Hey, Michael, can you write a new book with these dinosaurs? No, dude, I've moved on. Come on, please. How much do we have to pay? I don't want, how much do we have to, fine, but it'll suck. We don't care. And then Spielberg, hey, can you make a sequel? Come on, dude, we've moved on. Can you make a sequel? We'll throw money at you. Fine. But you're right that it's not as bad as the book. The book is terrible. I love the first Jurassic Park book. Michael Crichton hit that shit out of the park. No pun intended. So good. Um, read it at a lake house and I know dinosaurs have been dead for years and I was freaked out. That book is really yeah. effective. That actually made me more freaked out than Jaws in that sense. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh God, these velociraptors. I'm looking like, around for the velociraptors. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to jump in the lake so that I don't have to meet a velociraptor. <laughs> anyway. So this one I think is controversial because a lot of people really hate it is um, my number 13 is hook. Oh, I, you know, I've never seen. I've never that. seen Hook. I have seen it, and I kind of put it out of my memory. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know it's the only version of Peter Pan that I I really enjoyed. You know, there are a lot out there, and I didn't like the recent ones. I thought they were garbage, and I'm not really. I never fell in love with the Disney one, the animated one. So anyway, um, and also I have a I have a huge. I'm a huge fan of um, Robin Williams, so that probably plays a factor in this. So number fourteen. Temple of Doom. Okay. I yeah. I like a lot of the crazy choices in that movie. Like, I love, mm-hmm. how, even though a lot of them really don't work, and I don't like either of his sidekicks, <laughs> I like the, I'm, I like that Spielberg just seems to, like, be having a crazy time. Like, that's like a, if you took the Spielberg strict script to either of the Indiana Jones movies and you poured like whiskey on it, I'm not suggesting that he was drunk while he was writing it or whatever, or directing it, but, or I don't think he wrote it, but anyway, so that's my 14. No, listen, listen, listen. That movie has fun things in it. Yeah. Uh, but, but what drove it home for me, how the, the quality difference was uh, years ago, I don't know, like a decade ago or something. Um, I threw, I had a, a party where the yeah. whole, it was a whole Raiders thing, you know, Indiana Jones yeah. thing party. I was there. Honda was there. And we made food to coincide, like to go along with each one of the movies. And so, of course, uh, Temple of Doom was a a lot of fun because we had snake surprise, which I did, by the way. That was my dish. Snake surprise. And I actually had like a plastic snake and all these. Anyways, so so far, so good. But in watching it, it was definitely the one where I was like less interested. I'm like, ah. Yeah. You know, whereas the first and the third were like, oh, I want to watch this. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple scenes that I like in Temple of Doom. The yeah. when they're in the in the I don't know what you call it like a speakeasy where they're all in the tuxedos. Uh, it's, yeah. You know, pretty interesting scene. The bug scene is is actually kind of compelling. Yeah. And as an Asian, I, I was just happy to see an Asian in a movie, even though it was one of the most stereotypical accent <laughs> characters of all time. I mean, when I watched Sixteen Candles, I like Long Duck Dong because I was yeah. like. Well, at least there's an Asian somewhere in this movie. Yeah. And he was funny and he knew Kung, Kung Fu or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, sure. I mean, I, I think, and I think that there's a real heart to the film beneath all the weirdness. Um, like there, 
I like that it's not just about archaeology and finding, you know, some precious item or whatever, like getting closer to God. It's, it's also about, hey, these people are, you know, being oppressed by this weirdo and let's like save these kids. So I, I like that aspect of it. Um, and then 15, I put The Adventures of Tintin. I think it's really fun. Number 16, which I, this is probably, no, no, no. It comes up in the next film. I was going to say it, there's a transition, but number 16 for me is the terminal, which I, I love. Is number that with seven, Tom Hanks? Yeah. 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 And Catherine Zeta-Jones. Great, great movie. It's, it's one of his most character driven stories. And I love how like effortlessly funny it is. Like it's not beating you over the head with jokes, but it's just very charmingly funny. Mm. So definitely give it a, give it a peek. Yeah. I think it suffered because it was at Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks peak uh, fame. And it was, you know, marketed as such. It's like the new Tom Hanks Spiel- Spielberg movies coming out. And then it's this really quiet, slow story about a guy stuck in an airport. And, right. and I think it, let down a lot of people because they were thinking it was going to be saving private Ryan five. Yeah. Kind of like that. And it, and it wasn't, you know, like catch me if you can came out two years before, which is a very frenetic action oriented movie. And I think the terminal, and I remember thinking, Oh wait, this movie is not what I thought it was going to be. It might've even been kind of marketed as like the next catch me as you can. And I remember about halfway through the movie being like, I bet you everyone hates this movie, but I kind of like it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see it when it came out. I watched it later on on DVD some afternoon, and and I think that's the it's the perfect like at home movie. So if you can find it to stream somewhere, it's it's a nice relaxing watch. Um, the next movie, uh, number seventeen, is Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Now, now, really now we got to have some words like number seventeen, like. You got to bump some people off of that list. Well, Saving Colin, Private we Ryan. We haven't talked about war movies, Colin. Do you, do you just not like war movies? I'm very picky when it comes but, to but, war but, movies. But the Saving Private Ryan. I know it's like a the whole video war. game genre. I know. <laughs> I know. I, I think um, for me, I would need to rewatch it before I really, I, I don't want to dog on it. I don't think anything's wrong with it. I think, it just didn't reach me as yeah. much as the other films. I, right. I really don't have any criticisms of it. Yeah. You know? um, and then this one I, I think is also going to be possibly even more stirring is E.T. is my 18. No, I get it. No, I totally get it. I mean, how old are you, Colin? What year were you born? I'm 29. So you're born in what? 1991. 91. And at what yeah. age did you watch it? I watched E.T. when I was about 10 or 11, I think, at a friend's yeah. house. But still, but still, when when I was ten or eleven when this came out, it it was it was Michael Jackson and there was E. T. Yeah. And it was that was <laughs> that was the only thing in the world. And and it you know, it, it just dominated the world. Yep. Yep. And for me it it just felt like I don't know how to describe it, but it felt like a movie that was made just for me in a lot oh. of ways. You know what I mean? I think I like it more now because I, I really loved the first season of stranger things and subsequently the new it movies. And so there's all these like eighties kids adventures with bikes uh, and like exploring supernatural and extraterrestrial things. I, I, 
I do like it. So possibly if I rewatched it, um, cause I, it, I certainly have watched it again, but I don't think I've watched it since college, which was at least four years ago. So no, I, I get know. it. In fact, I was a little reticent to put it that high because I don't know if I would like it as an adult watching it, but I put it that high because it was such a big deal to me when I was a kid. I, I've seen it recently and I got to say, I mean, you'll find out where I put it, but it, it held up for me in the sense that, yes, yeah, sure, caveat, caveat, special effects, blah, blah, blah. But the other thing I'll, I'll say, 80s and 70s, I guess movies used to talk down a lot less to kids yeah. and people. Yeah. It, it was a lot, it felt a lot more real. Like, yeah. and, and in a way, like, whoa, this is for kids? Because, like, there's some dialogue here. That's like, I don't know. It was just, I, I, I really thought it was good. Yeah. <laughs> My number 19 right. is yeah. Catch Me If You Can. My number 20 is AI. Mm-hmm. My number 21 is Crystal Skull. <laughs> That's the end of your list, right? No, I have more. Oh my God. I'm sorry. There are some things. Wait, I haven't Crystal heard. S- I haven't heard Munich. Uh, oh I haven't heard God. Amistad. I haven't heard Always. I haven't heard the big, oh you know, okay. God. Oh, I have, I have three. So I'll get that out of the way. I, I've never seen Munich. I've never seen Amistad okay, and I've okay, never okay, seen 1941. Okay. Okay, okay. okay. So there are three that I, I still have yet to see. Um, my number 22 is bridge of spies. Okay. Number 23. It, I guarantee you it is not worse than crystal. It's not great. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not great, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's why it's not worse than crystal skull on an artistic level, but I didn't enjoy watching it as much as crystal skull. So, my number 23 is The Post, which yeah. I thought was held up really only by Meryl Streep. 24, Sugarland Express. Oh, didn't I haven't, reach seen, I haven't me. seen that. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie. That's one of his early ones, right? That was, I think, his big screen debut after Duel, which was for TV originally. Yeah, yeah I never saw Sugarland Express. Um, it's set in Texas um, based on, I don't know, I guess some kind of real event. Maybe I just didn't want to see Texas, but I, whatever. I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> I don't want to see that. <laughs> and I want to acknowledge the fact that I'm from here. No, I'm just kidding. Um, number 25, uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah. Number 26, Ready Player One. Number 27, Always. How can you not like always? I mean, it's a, I, it's a, it's a cute story, and you know, Richard Dreyfus, Holly Hunter. I didn't think Richard Dreyfus was well cast because you have to be, a, you have to be able to play co- comedy, but also aloofness, and also like, you know, you needed somebody like Steve Carell or Jim Carrey somewhere, someone that like can access melancholy within large scale humor stuff because I don't know the Richard Dreyfuss character didn't work for me. I loved Holly Hunter. And actually I I thought that her, I was like, I hope she was nominated because she made me tear up. I actually, I should have put this higher because of her and also a couple of songs that were in it. Like I put them on a playlist. Um, Smoke gets in your eyes. I like, I, I sent that to my boyfriend and I was like, this, song is absolutely gorgeous so i did love some things about it yeah um just too much plain bullshit that now, I didn't care I, about. I, now, I'm, now i'm just kind of giving you crap i bet you anything <laughs> if i saw it for the first time i mean i watched this movie when i was 18 late at night on hbo or something and i remember and i was like i have no idea what this movie's about and it just 
you know, it, it struck a chord with my 18 year old self, I think. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Like the, the way that they approached the writing of the husband giving the, the dead husband, spoilers, he dies. Spoiler. Um, he comes back as a ghost and then he like gives her permission to move on with this yeah. guy that looks like Superman. Wait, who's, I'm who like, are the actors? Um, who's in this movie? So Richard Dreyfus is a pilot and he dies and then he comes and Holly Hunter is sad. And then Holly Hunter meets this kind of hunky guy. And so Richard Dreyfus is like the everyman and the hunky guy, you know, Holly Hunter is like kind of, you know, rejecting him a little bit. And then Richard Dreyfus in his love, he at first Richard Dreyfus is like doing things to make sure she doesn't fall in love with him. And then eventually, okay, so it's he, kind of a comedy. Then, yeah, eventually he realizes. I, I have seen it, maybe that he needs to help his wife fall in love, and that's his, you know, his ticket to heaven, essentially. Oh, okay. And John Goodman's in it too. Is he just a? He's just a friend. He's a friend of the two of them. He's the friend, and his character trait is that he eats. You know, he eats what? It. You cut out there he for a second. Eats. No, no, he eats. Oh, that's just, his that's joke. Period. He didn't get cut off. He eats. <laughs> I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but I also, I like John Goodman, but I don't think they gave him much to play. He's kind of, I felt like a, a butt of like a big man joke, but oh, okay. you know, maybe it's just me. I mean, I haven't um, seen it since I was 18, so I can't really say much. I don't know. Rewatch it. I mean, I think that like, honestly, like if I, I would, pr- I might rewatch it again later with my loved one, just because there's some really great like cuddle moments but I guess there's so you have to wait for so much plain stuff to happen. I did like the um, the Holly, sorry, not Holly Hunter, um, the Audrey Hepburn stuff. She she's like the the god figure that kind of gives him um, the the path, as it were, the sage, you know. Yeah. And she was it was great to see her. I had never seen Audrey Hepburn in her you know not iconic Audrey Hepburn state where she's like Breakfast at Tiffany's or you know My Fair Lady. But anyway. Mm. So that was, that's always. And then 28 is BFG. And then my last is, uh, which is 29, War Horse. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. War Horse definitely missed its potential. I think because of the script, maybe, if I remember right. All right, Berto, rattle off your list. I'm just going to do some honorary mentions because these are movies that either I actually didn't watch, but I know they're great. Or I watched, but it was so long ago, I basically don't remember, but yeah. I know they're great. Yeah. Or I like them, but not enough to put them in my top nine list here. Okay. All right. So the honorary mentions, Empire of the Sun. I did watch it. I just don't remember. But I, I know it's great. Color Purple. Never watched it. I know it's great. Minority Report. I did watch it. I liked it. Just not enough to go in my top nine. AI. That's good. I like it. It's a big effort, uh, you know. Kudos, kudos, Spielberg. And uh, Duel, again, I did enjoy this. I just kind of don't remember the details. All right, that's my honorary mentions. Top nine, number nine, Catch Me If You Can. Mm. Number eight, Close Encounters. Yeah. Love that music. Did you see it when you were a kid? No, well, I mean, yes, but not in the theater. It was like on, Yeah. I think they played on TV. Yeah. It really holds up. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And then number uh that was nine. Seven. Seven E T. Mm. 
I hear you calling. Yeah, I mean, I hear you calling, but you can't come in. Uh, so, like, I think E.T. was maybe of the time. And to be honest, I actually wasn't crazy about E.T. Like, there were people – my cousin was crazy about E.T. But I still thought it was, it was really enjoyable and stuff. Okay, number six. Um, yeah, I'm going to go – Yes, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put the uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Last Crusade. I, oh. I, 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 I hadn't included it before because I actually, for some ridiculous notion, I thought it wasn't him. But okay, so that means number uh, five, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, it's got to be in your top. T- I mean, come on, what are we doing here? I'll rewatch it with you number, on your channel. Okay. Oh, okay, <laughs> let's do that. Number four, Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. Jurassic Park. Now I get it. You know, like if you watch it, uh, well, first of all, special effects hold up, which is crazy, unbelievable that the special effects would hold up. Yeah, but but some of it, there are some moments that are a little on the nose. Still, like amazing movie. Uh, number three, Jaws. I put Jaws at number three. Uh-huh. Number two, Schindler's List. So Schindler's List, I've only seen one time. It might be as much as I can handle in one lifetime, but it was a masterclass in everything. Storytelling, so filmography. I, I encourage you to rewatch it. I'm rewatching it right now. It is a, in the first, it's a two and a half hour movie. In the first hour and a half, there might be one or two deaths. Okay. Not a lot. Okay. So in the beginning, so it's, it's mostly not as... Schindler and the workers and okay, Schindler, okay. like using his charisma. Okay. It's not till the latter half of the movie that it when gets really dark. Terrible things. But in either case, I remember I went to a, a small theater in in uh, Capitol in the uh, Capitol Hill. Um, the the Egyptian is it? Yeah, Egyptian. Dude, and it was so draining, but so amazing. And by the way, growing up in Colombia. I didn't know any of this stuff. I, I, I actually, I got the sense that a lot of people here didn't really even know. Like I'd heard a little bit about it, but it was so eye-opening, so moving, et cetera. Okay. Number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I got to say like it, other than Star Wars, I don't remember another movie at that age impacting me as much. I went to see this one in the theater. I can't believe it, by the way. There's some scenes that, because I was like five, but Oh, so fun. Such a larger than life character. So well directed. So rewatchable. Oh. Yeah. This came and out then, this summer after Empire. Um, Empire Strikes yeah. Back. And I saw it with my whole family in John Dan's. You remember John Dan's theater in oh, Bellevue? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I don't remember it, but. Oh, you, it would have been. Well, anyway, there was a yeah. theater in Bellevue that was just a one theater. Now it's a Barnes and Noble, or I don't know what it is now. But okay, and we it was back then. Well, anyway, I just remember being a huge crowd. Like there was no line. It was just a okay. huge crowd kind of heading in, and, and I remember my family was like, "Whoa, this movie's popular." <laughs> <laughs> it might be the most. I mean, you, we've all mentioned the word fun. I, I can't, other than possibly Empire. The one you just mentioned, like I don't know if there's a more fun movie that so I can fun. Think of. It's I mean, so other fun. than Back, every, Back to the Future, frame. which is the yeah. defining '80s movie, as we know. Yeah. And my worst movie, possibly of all time, for any director ever, but maybe not. I'll probably put it in a top bottom, bottom ten or something. Can you guess? Crystal Skull. Crystal Skull. Oh, I course. won't even honor it with the first part of the name. I'm just gonna call it Crystal Skull. 
I got to say, why do I hate it so much? First of all, I hate any time someone grabs something that I loved as a child and it's like, here, I have an idea. I'll make this crappy version of it. Uh, that's why I had such a negative reaction to the episodes one through three stuff. And, but this one is like a whole le- other level of egregiousness because the guy gets in a fridge, gets thrown out, but fine, fine, fine. You know, Indiana Jones survives crazy things, fine. But then you have his son like being a monkey, but fine, you know, like people do weird action scenes and stuff. But you ruin Marion, Marion, Marion's character. Like you ruin it. She's forever ruined. You can't like her character anymore. It's, it's, oh, it's so bad. And then there's freaking alien. Like, come on. Look, cut George Lucas some slack. He came up with all these ideas when his head was stuck in the shark. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, So it's the script. The directing is not the problem. I I would give you that. But, but, you know, after kind of thinking about the first three Indiana Jones movies, I can see where the Crystal Skull uh, script seemed logical because in the in the first one you got Nazis, but second one you basically have like a a religious cult? a religious but a, a spiritual cult. Oh yeah, I guess who, it is religion. Like he casts spells essentially. Yeah, have this yeah. magical. There's and magic the third, in all three. That's fair. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the third one you have God and and angels and stuff, and so it's not a leap to make the fourth one about aliens. You know, let's just make it about aliens. It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> um, the, and then the, the scene with all of the, all the bugs, you think w- that looks stupid, but you think, well, in the second one, there were lots of bugs. The scene where they're in the cars going down. It's, I don't know how long that scene is. It's like 27 minutes long. They're going through the jungle and they're, the two oh, that's the worst. And, and again, in one, you, he's stuck to the tank as they're hitting this, you know, and so there's, there's, and there's analogies to it. So Kirk. if you read it in the script, you'd be like, okay, but yeah. the execution was just so, so, so Yeah, because l- let me ask you guys, uh, what's one of your, or your favorite meal, your favorite, like, dish? Pizza. Okay. Pad thai? Pad thai. Okay, let's take pad thai, Colin. If you hand me the ingredients for pad thai, I guarantee you, you're not going to like the outcome. <laughs> so just because you have all the ingredients right. doesn't oh, mean Oh, this that. is a great analogy. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I get it. And, and, and it, it was – so I just wonder what went wrong. And I remember there was an interview with Spielberg, if I remember right, like afterwards – and Spielberg was just like, well, you know, maybe you should talk to George. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and, and he, I think he was also saying something like, well, during the development, George really wanted to get his hands on this thing. I, I remember like, Spielberg was basically saying, George, has, his ego is so overblown at this point that. Oh, my God. I, he didn't let me get my hands on that thing. And so I just uh, went along for the ride. I think, I think you're probably right because it felt, it felt the equivalent was done to Indy that was done to Star Wars. Yeah. And so. Yeah. If you now, said this was a yeah. Star Wars sequel, like, you know, episode 3.1, I would have believed you because yeah. it definitely exactly. has that feel. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Everyone out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. You really, really do. <laughs> wait. <laughs> and you just, dis- wait. You <laughs> please take you care of yourself deserve- because <laughs> you deserve it. Nom, 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 n